This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street and Fly Racing. On today's pod, we're going to look back at the World Superbike Round from Indonesia. Steve English, Charlie Hiscott and Gordon Ritchie here. And we're actually in Phillip Island because it's been a bit of a disaster to get down to here. It's been a bus, a boat, a bus, a plane, a plane. And uh, that was just me. So, uh, Charlie, you've had a bit of an endeavour to get down to Phillip Island. Taxi, taxi, plane, taxi, plane, taxi. Hi, car. It's uh, quite a bit of transit there. Gordo, what about for you to get down to Australia? Oh, the most interesting bit was the fast ferry. I have to say that was the uh, that was the strangest uh, experience. We all pile into this crazy ferry. There's six massive Suzuki engines on the back of it. And you think, well, is it going to go that fast? And yeah, it goes pretty fast. And uh, yeah, a bit dodgy, but it was good. And it was only with it, my flight was changed from being midday to 3.20 in the morning right after the race finished. So I kind of bailed on that one. So yeah, it's been chaos. Everybody's got their own stories of chaos to get here, but glad we're here. Missed the place. Brilliant racetrack. Glad we're here. Yeah, obviously enough, we're going to look back to Indonesia, a little bit of a preview to Australia. We've got an interview with Jonathan Ray as well, so we're going to try and keep everything as short and concise as we can, just because we're into back-to-back weekends. So let's kick it off straight away. Alvaro Bautista, 2022 world champion. There was that air of inevitability to it, and uh, Alvaro was able to get across the line in Indonesia. But it was nice to see that he was actually putting a bit of a bed of himself in the races as well. He wasn't just cruising to the line to pick up the points. As all true champions would like to do, he went out trying to win. Um, obviously, top bracket too much for him, and the nature of the racetrack helped as well. But no, Alvaro really wanted to, to show. He's had a bit of criticism. People been talking about the bike and his weight and everything else. He's obviously been a bit fired up, uh, and he wasn't scared. I mean, he had a cushion, so he's okay to do it. He could have won bad result and it would still be work out okay. But no, f- fair dues to him. He absolutely went for it, and um, uh, yeah, I think he underlined how he's credentials in that race because Top Rank was so far ahead of everybody else um, and he was the only one that got you know even worried him for a while really Yeah I definitely don't think it was a cruise to the line actually because um, it would have been a cruise to the line if Top Rank hadn't been quite so on form but um, with Top Rank riding the way he was in Mandalik uh, Mandalika was just unbelievable so he had to push hard he had to win it he had to bring it over the line and like as Gordo said just underlines that actually you know he's had a fantastic season and he's riding brilliantly yeah it's been interesting to talk to everyone up and down the paddock over the last few rounds about it because we did know really for the last few rounds that it was going to just be down to Alvaro just to make sure he was avoiding mistakes and just getting across to get it done he's been able to do it three races to spare and when you talk to all his rivals they'll all say one thing they'll all say that you know what you don't win a world championship by fluking it you have to be mistake free you have to get the job done he had the package underneath him but he had the pressure of Top Rack and Johnny breathing down his neck every week I don't know if all of his rivals would say that some of his rivals some of his rivals I think would say well he had a massive advantage and they can say that risk of starting an argument but I mean well but even the people who said that and mean it and have got a point in in lots of ways all also 
tip their hat to the fact that Alvaro has been perfect all year Ducati's been perfect all year they haven't made any great big foul ups he's had one or two mistakes all year and everybody else has said lots don't forget that's part of Alvaro's success is other people's not quite success um, even when this season's been a much harder and faster and more developed and closer season everybody's going faster this year it's not just Alvaro um, but he made fewer mistakes and he also went fast when he could when it, when it was able to win he just won I did speak to the god of all of science, Gigi Delinia, and I did put a very simple question to him, and bearing in mind, he is a man of science, right? So I said, does a light rider have an advantage over a heavy rider? And he coughed and he spluttered and he looked up and he looked down and he looked away and he fudged an answer. But at the end of the day, right, the fact science wins over, and that is that a light rider has an advantage. And even Gigi couldn't really staple together a solid argument against that yeah but the other side of the coin as well is you can have respect for the job Alvaro's done while also being fully aware and assess Ducati for the advantage they have nature but in 2019 all those things all those boxes were ticked and it went very badly wrong so that's what the difference is this year they haven't made any mistakes they haven't got it wrong and they have gone out to win every race like their, their competitors are but when they can't they can't Alvaro's a very experienced guy he was a world champion in 2006 you know and 125 he's been around forever he, whatever happened in 19 wasn't going to happen this year everybody could see that um, but there were no mistakes from those guys and there was from other people if other people wanted to be closer and, and, and negate any problem the, the obvious advantage that he's got down the straights and out of corners because of his low mass which is just physics it's, it's a fact um, well they don't don't make mistakes and don't get your tyre choice wrong or don't get your settings wrong you know that that's other people didn't help themselves so it's alright saying oh he's got an advantage but if they'd been perfect technically no breakdowns no crashes from riders then we'd be racing for the World Championship this weekend not won the World Championship at Mandalika. I agree, but at the same time, I think that if you're going to make a comparison to 2019, is that Ducati have made the bike better than 2019, and that's made him more comfortable. And he did say after Aragon, Alvaro said, I am so much more comfortable on this bike. I don't have to ride it over the limit. That's not because Alvaro has become a different rider. That's because the bike is better, easier. It suits Alvaro better. The other side of that as well is we have had big advances with the Pirelli tyres as well, the series of development tyres that have probably aided that as well because, and we're here in Phillip Island, it's going to be something we're going to talk about a lot this weekend. He just has that ability to manage that softer tyre as well and that's always been his strength. Even on the Honda, that was always his biggest strength. Another thing about Mandalika is that they didn't bring the tyre that Alvaro loves to use and works on the Ducati. So he was actually a little bit, for his opinion, hamstrung by the fact that he didn't have that. So it makes his, it makes his performances and his desire to win and everything else uh, all the better. Um, you know yeah and the same could be said for when we went to Portimao and there was another round earlier in the year and uh, it always worked well for him the bike's just an all round package sure but if you've got a front every every rider lives on his front they've got a favourite front and they don't like coming away from it because that's where their feel comes from and at that point of pressure he could have watching top rack more away from him he could have lost it and said no no I have to win a race and that stuff he kept his head 
he won this championship for lots of reasons all the ones about power and, and lightweight and everything else are all completely valid but all the other boxes were ticked from them and from Ducati Ducati people would say oh maybe there's going to be a bit of a disturbance because that's what's happened for all these years they haven't won for a long time because they haven't got things right the whole package but they did they, they did this year they got everything right they didn't make mistakes I think Alvaro fell off at Donington and was nerfed off at um, Magnacure other than that his results have been solid. Nerfed off. Nerfed off. Good word, there. That's the way of it. That's a very diplomatic way of putting it. But yeah. Yeah. So, I'm quite confused, and I'm sure our listeners are confused. Normal. Are we all... It is very normal for me to be confused. But are we all not in complete agreement that Alvaro did the best job, Ducati did the best job, and that Alvaro winning the championship can come about from him doing a really good job and Ducati having the best bike? Or are we all in slight disagreement? Like I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to actually figure out if we all agree on the same basic point. We're all conflicted because we can all see there's also one clear advantage that those guys have. Um, but you can also see that in other ways, other people have got clear advantages. Um, in terms of manoeuvrability and everything else that bike that Ducati works well enough now but it doesn't work as well as some other bikes do in some regards however when all that work you do is negated by someone coming past you on the street every time then obviously that's why there's this degree of confusion not, not confusion or disagreement or you have to start thinking oh this or that or the other thing well you could say that Gordo but I think he, if you if it was possible to put a number next to advantages and disadvantages, okay, like Loris Baz has a very broad reach and big strong shoulders, right? So let's give him a, a score of one or two or whatever it is for that, yeah. And Jonathan Ray is the best rider in the world. Let's give him a score for that, yeah. But whatever those advantages and disadvantages are, when you look at Alvaro's advantages down the straight, that's like a four. That's a bigger advantage than all of the other advantages that the riders have got, and that for me is you know at the risk of taking being you know being controversial but that for me is that's the problem in the championship is that Alvaro's advantage is considerably more than everybody else's advantages uh, I don't I'm not disagreeing I just said that, that about passing you know his ability to pass negates all the other good work other people can do inside it however at Mandalika because we didn't have a gigantic straight but we had enough of a straight for passes to be made Top Rack still just owned it he was just there he was riding well his bike was set well he was gone he was just gone nobody was touching Top Rack that weekend yeah and uh, obviously we've got in the media centre here quite a bit of background noise so a little bit of an apology for now is that your hearing aid again? that's my hearing aid going off so let me just turn that down a little bit there we go no no there it is it's going again but I think one of the big things and we'll talk about this now as we move on towards a little bit of an Indonesian discussion that for top rack the big advantage with the Yamaha is that it's a forgiving bike and in Mandalika there was an incredibly narrow line you needed a bike that was going to give you that forgiveness that's the strength of the Yamaha and that was with top rack a rider that always works well in low grip conditions that's what he's used to training on it's a perfect storm to be on the Yamaha and to be a rider with that skill set as well so that plays a bit of a factor into the way that the weekend played out in Indonesia obviously top rack did fantastic hat trick of wins again just to show how good he is yeah um, and when he wants to when he just wants to win he does he, people riders say this all the time I have to win this weekend I have to do it well he somehow finds the way of just doing it whatever the disadvantage is if he's really set on it he's, he's, he's incredibly difficult to beat if he's got any kind of setting underneath him and that's what he had at the weekend um, yeah I agree with everything you say about you know his ability to read the low, the low grip 
uh, he made jokes about it when he first got there Amanda Week. I said this is like when we don't ride the um, Keenan's track for a week yeah. he says the first few laps you have to go around and clean it up and all that stuff and you're always sliding and you can't pass each other and everything else so yeah he's a, uni- but he's a unique talent he's a totally unique talent and you can't control that I think he's the most talented rider here I think Jonathan Ray is a better rounded rider but top rack is 1% less if he's at 1% less the only way you're ever going to find all these things out is stick them all on the same bikes give them the same pre-season testing and get them all to, to go and race each other well that doesn't happen but we'll be three different riders with three different styles three different sizes three different everythings approaches every single thing is different and they've all pushed each other for half a season in a, in a kind of equal way and then when the tracks changed and those advantages that were spoken about earlier became more of a factor, that's what happened. There wasn't nobody got miraculously better halfway through the season, but the conditions around them changed. And and that I think is the, the, the only thing you can take from, from Top Rack's performance is that it did suit him, but when he's in the mood, he could have done that anywhere. Yeah, and obviously this season, Jordan, you saw it a lot down in Pit Lane, Park Fermi, all the times that you're interacting with Paul Denning, Phil Marin, Top Rack in particular. It was those first three rounds. Struggled in Assen and Aragon, but from Mizana onwards, when he started winning, he was back to being Top Rack, and it was just that moment where he gave up too many points in those few rounds, because really, from that point onwards, there wasn't that much to choose between himself and Bautista. Well, the only thing to choose between them was the length of the straight of the track that we were at. What about, though, for Ducati, whenever you look at the reaction that they've had to winning this championship? Obviously, it's the first time since Carlos Chaka. It should be a moment to celebrate. But instead, there's that asterisk beside it for a lot of people in the paddock. Look, let's be honest, right? Alvaro has ridden fantastically. Ducati have made the most amazing ride. They are absolutely 100% deserving of the championship. We are not, I'm not knocking that in any way as I said in the last pod, is that it's just the way that he gets to win championships is just just not something that I like to see. I don't want to see that next year. I want to go back to the racing that we had the year before. And at the beginning of the end, like you said, the tracks that we had where Top Rack had a bit of an advantage, the tracks that we have where Alvaro doesn't have that advantage on the straight, the racing is almost perfect for me. Well, the, uh, yes, but the problem is Estero. And we saw that he did and was able to blast past people but he also didn't win those the every race in Israel because because other people made better corner exits made better infield made a better attack on the and, and be able to make that advantage yeah it was where everyone else has to be perfect all the time Alvaro needs to be pretty good most of the time and that's the difference you look at I always think that like when you look at and we, we interviewed Johnny in, in this pod as well so that'll be in the next few minutes we'll, we'll play that out and you look at Johnny he's six time world champion he's the best we've ever seen you look at Top Rack best rider in the world in my opinion over the last two years has been Top Rack he can do things that no one else can do and both of those guys need to be right on the absolute limit at all times to be able to have half a chance Argentina was a good example Top Rack couldn't, felt he couldn't give up a corner to Bautista otherwise he was going to lose the race and I think whenever you've got riders at that level that are so good that they have to be like that I think that's when you see just where it is and Charlie, I know that you've talked to some of the Yamaha riders, Garrett Gurloff, for instance, about comparing himself to Top Rack. And it's just not a comparison. Got a lovely quote off um, Garrett at the weekend, actually, which is the same quote that Cal 
said about Marquez. And he said, there's just no point in looking at his data because his data doesn't make any sense to a normal human being. And Garrett said the same thing about which actually, do you know what? It made me think about Top Rack and it made me think that, you know what? Top Rack has got a bit of the Rossi for me. I think he's probably maybe even a better rider than Rossi, but he's got the charisma and the showmanship and the ability to be, you know, everybody, no, everybody loves Top Rack. Yeah, They're literally everybody. There's no, Top Rack doesn't have anyone, any detractors at all. And he's just got a bit of that real star quality for me. And it was when Garrett said that about looking at his data saying it's a complete waste of time because it's, you might as well look at, read the bike. Read the read read a book. <laughs> read the Bible. You almost said it there, Charlie. Obviously, we're all here just for the big man above. But um, Gordo Charlie's there. He's mentioned the comparison to Valentino Rossi. It's not a comparison that's made too often. It's not usually a very valid comparison to make. But when you look at Top Rack, he's just pure box office. You can't take your eyes off him when he's on the screen. And that was the Rossi effect. Yeah, he's made himself and his people behind him cleverly uh, manipulating in a good way his his image. Um, but there is nothing he, as Charlie says, nothing to dislike about the guy. He just he's he's great off the bike. He likes to entertain now. He's come out of his shell when he turned up here. He was a big shy guy, completely out of his own culture and everything else. He was very polite and very nice, but he could, he could hardly speak two words. I think even through shyness, never mind the language. Now he's clever enough with the language to make jokes and get jokes, which is unusual. You know, he really does. Um, and he just every chance to entertain. He was, you know, down the town with the fans in Paddock. He, he's just constantly doing stuff. Remember him going into Donington and his little electric scooter and going round. The, the video interview room when someone else is getting interviewed and stuff just for a laugh just and just for just for japes yeah for me where you get that from is by being in a really cool team like yamaha yeah. so it would i'd love to know what top would be like if he was riding for kawasaki or for ducati because i think mucking around with the guys in yamaha and filmer and all those guys rusty paul denning it's a cool team that lot they get on really well they function brilliantly it's good fun in that squad you know that steve-o and actually i think that's why top rack's um personality is growing so nicely and 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 in such a nice way because when he's away from the track you know we, we say this all the time when you see him off camera away from the track not doing anything he's always doing something funny he's mucking around he can't help himself he's just got a great personality and yamaha are the team that have really let that grow for me and i think it's one of those things as well that as you get older you become more of your own man he was always keenan's prodigy he's not now he's top rack and you get to a certain point as well where and top rack probably got to this point long before most riders where you're just known by one name you're known by that first name top rack obviously it's just because no one can say his surname but like you know it that's got an advantage in it as well I think the thing about that is that you have to have a certain level of confidence and ease with yourself and ease with your environment to, the, to feel confident enough to do all that because you've then got to go on track and deliver. If you're clowning about and not winning or whatever, then that's you're, you're looked down on by people, but he manages to get not get away with it. It's entertainment in the paddock as well as on the bike, but it's a self-confidence thing. He's, he's, he knows what he can do, and he's quite happy to show people what he can do as a stunt rider off the bike as well. You know, most people would be a bit more, oh, I must concentrate on the weekend. He seems to be able to turn it on when it comes to the track and then turn it off and be a normal, happy, fun guy away from it. A lot of other people can't do that or shouldn't. The, the, the method acting kind of way where you have to be on it all weekend and thinking about it all weekend, he seems to be able to switch on and off, which is another example of pure pure talent 
What, what did you guys make of the fact that his fastest lap would have put him front row or something on MotoGP? Do you think? I know. I know it was Jano Zeffirelli, the track designer who works with Dromo, was sort of saying, you know, the track's fantastic and the tarmac's fantastic. Top rank would have been, I think, it was his second place, and we were qualified second. Is that right? But that to me would seem like ridiculous because the track has completely changed the asphalt's changed completely so I don't really get that what do you think yeah it was very similar to whenever we go to winter testing in Hareth and people are making the comparison on exactly a really cold and Jonathan talks about that actually in the interview about how any bike in winter testing in Hareth he'll always feel class on it's perfect conditions it's always going to be fast you go for the GP once Hareth gets over 48 49 50 degrees you fall off a real cliff for grip that's when GP's on so this one was the exact same comparison, just not a valid comparison. I think all those things are true, but the difference is I don't understand why when MotoGP's got so much technology and wings now and everything else, that we're even close to the lap times. I don't see why we are not 10 seconds off. We're production-based bikes. Why are MotoGP bikes a couple seconds faster than us? I, I don't understand why there's not a bigger gap. The other thing I was going to ask you guys about was, have you ever heard of such high track temperatures ever before in your lives? What, seven, nearly 70 degrees? Well, well it, yeah, I've been to races, I can't remember, but I know we've been over 60 plenty of times. I've never heard anybody say we were nearly 70, because you look at all the official data and everything else, it's all, well, you look at the official results, it's not, we didn't even crack 60. Yeah. And you look at the Pirelli tyre temperatures and that is a bit higher. There's always that disparity. But yeah, I've been at a few really boiling 70 degree jobs and stuff, Qatar when it was during the day. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to look up the, the numbers, but people get a bit carried away saying, oh, it's a record. Well, maybe it's not. Gordo, obviously, you're the only one of us that's a certified instrumental instrumental engineer. So uh, how reliable are the little heat guns that we see? Uh, everything goes back to calibration. You have to get the things calibrated, checked. Th those things you point to the ground, the little pyrometers, you can get two of exactly the same make and model pointing the same bit of tarmac and they'll give you a 10 degree different reading. They need to be checked. There's the, Whatever they're using to do the track temperature, if it's them using it for their own purposes is what happens here. It's comparative. So you'll get the comparison between oh it's hotter here than it is if you use the same thing and it's not gone off in performance then it's okay for you to use in the garage because it's your 25 degrees or your 50 degrees but the actual recording of it the equipment used to do that i'll be very surprised if you can trace that back to standards that actually tell you actually it is 72 degrees within plus or minus 0.5 degrees that is no you have to do a better kit than these guys are carrying and maybe even the tire people are carrying Yes, yeah, I prefer the media way of looking at it, which is where you take the highest temperature that anyone, literally anyone will tell you, you whack a few more degrees yes. on, yeah, and then you spout yes. that out on the TV, yeah, which is actually far more dramatic than having any any form of science involved. We just make it up for theatre and for drama. Correct. And that is the thing, it has been, but when, when you have to make it up this time, you're going to have to go higher the next time, so we're going to be racing on molten lava next time. But yeah, the, the temperatures were among the highest. I actually asked the guy who does all the stats for World <laughs> Superbike completely, is there a way of tracing the record easily? Because you've got every stat you can imagine on this fantastic website he has, but you, they don't record that. You would have to literally manually go back through things, which if I'm really, really, really bored in the winter, I might do. Although I've got a feeling I'll probably just go for a nap. Well, obviously, 
being a bit of a man of science myself, Gordo, yeah. I did go... You and Gigi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me and Gigi. Bezzy mates. We talk about these things a lot, right? But I did go back through the MotoGP track temperatures from March at the beginning of this year, and their ambient air temperatures weren't dissimilar to where we were. But their track temperatures, let's, just, let's use the Dorna... The, what the Dorna figures that give us, which we all know is much lower than what the Dunlop people, the Pirelli people give us. They were looking at the similar ambient temperatures, but around about 45, maybe knocking, knocking towards 50 degrees. And we were substantially heavy, uh, higher than that. Not that it means anything, but it just seemed to me that actually Why that is, that? well, because of the new tarmac is a yeah. totally different type of mix of tarmac. And that was something that I found really interesting. And dark, if you've got darker tarmac and a hot sun, you will get a higher track temperature. A tarmac will cool down as it ages. The more grey and pale it gets, literally the less heat it'll absorb because it's black you know, it's like a black radiator or a silver radiator. You know, they're, they're, things absorb or radiate. And a black black racetrack will absorb more heat. Keep it obviously Gordo's all about calibration, Charlie's all about exaggeration. So Charlie we're gonna give we're gonna give the seven foot tall Charlie Hiscott just a minute to grab a cup of coffee we're all a little bit jet lagged and tired we're gonna take a quick break when we come back after the break we're gonna go straight into a Renthal Street Sessions interview with Jonathan Ray and then when we come back from that we're gonna go and wrap up what we're expecting for this weekend on the preview for uh, Phillip Island Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Renthal Street Ultralight Rear Sprockets are CNC machined from an advanced aluminum, keeping rotating unsprung mass to a minimum. The integral hard anodized finish has a higher resistance to mechanical wear, which increases its longevity. Available for a huge range of motorcycles with options for a number of teeth and chain pitch. Use the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Jonathan Ray joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast and uh, Johnny we've done these interviews at the end of the year on quite a few occasions usually they've been a little bit more of a successful season than this year and I think it's impossible not to talk about the elephant in the room this year has been a really tough season for you when you look at it from Estoril onwards it's been probably the toughest time of your career do you think in terms of your world championship um I think it's a bit unjust saying all that because I think I really struggled in early days when I came to World Superbike. You know, the gap to the championship leader was much higher. But it's true, the sort of president we set with Kawasaki from 15 through to 20, even 21 last year, missing out to top rack by small margin of 13, I think 13 or 17 points, can't remember. The, today it stands more than 100 points, around about 100s. So, um, Frustrating not to be closer. Um, we haven't won a race since you know the first three rounds of the championship, where we got off to a great start. 
And uh, but we can't be too hard on ourselves as well because I do feel like as a, a team and a bike and myself we keep driving forward. Compared to last year, um, I've been closer to top rack. Uh, I felt like we've really made a step in terms of braking with the bike, um, handling, my confidence, room for error. But just the the levels higher. You know, Alvaro's with the Caddy is very formidable package. Um, top rack's riding incredibly well. You know, last year top rack was champion, but you know, the points tally this year is much higher. You know, the he done such a good job last year, but Alvaro's so far in front right now. You know, winning before we even get to the last round shows how strong a season they've had. So we can't. Whilst it's been not as. Um, in the past I don't feel like it's been a disaster either so try to whilst we need to improve also give ourselves the kudos that we're doing a decent job and try and take that positivity towards 23 obviously enough what we've seen the whole way through this year and I've said it to you a lot is that we've never seen you have to ride like this you've had to be at your best every time you go out on track you and Toprak have had great battles last year this year as well it's been special for us to watch that but for you in the middle of it obviously you want it to be a little bit more comfortable probably than it has been at times yeah I mean a lot of riders say they they enjoy the last lap battle and coming out on top but honestly I've had wins that feel special winning by 15 seconds you know it's and the battles are nice bring stress but the knife edge I feel like we're riding on this year just to be there um, last year where it was hard to accept sometimes riding when things just weren't right you know I was trying to compensate for lack of handling bike that I couldn't stop as good as this year and riding myself into some mistakes this year I feel like I have to accept where we are sometimes, accept that third place, accept going, dropping a little bit at the end and accepting our position. So whilst that's frustrating, it's also gave us better tally of points and I've made less mistakes this year, but we're further away from the championship league. But I do feel that it's just a combination of things that Alvaro and Ducati are a really formidable package. You know, they've done an incredible job. He's made a lot less mistakes than he made in um, certainly 19, but even in his Honda years, you know, that seemed to have a really good bond with that bike. What about Alvaro and Ducati? Because it is difficult to look at it and not see the advantages that they have and just what he's able to do. He hasn't had to be on the limit like you in Top Rack. Obviously, he still has to get the job done, so everyone in the paddock can respect the job that he's done. Ducati have built a great bike, a great package. But where do you think of where that stacks up as well right now? You know, he's done a, he's done a great job because... Um, he hasn't put a season together for quite some time and this year he's been the guy you know he's made no mistakes a lot of pressure you know because to step onto that Aruba Ducati where it's at right now where the customer bikes are always at the front you know he has to win and there comes a certain pressure with that it's like a last chance to learn if you like you know him leaving Ducati in 19 being ousted halfway through the season by top management to go and have two years suffering at Honda it needed to work you know and he made it work so fair play you know big kudos and um, it's um, 
he certainly rode this year with margin. You know, you can see in races where it's been a hotter season than normal with tracks that were visited with high temperatures, and he's been able to nurse that tire. You know, he's not putting that extra force through the the tires, not taking that extra risk in corners to be able to afford himself the two, three, four, five tenths on the straight in certain circuits. You know, it's one of them. It's one of them, but he's still the only guy on a Ducati making it work. So it's um, yeah, I, I know how hard and how tough championships are to come by. So to to get to the end of the season where he is is you know a massive job and big respect for for him and his team for doing that. Obviously, we're here in Phillip Island, Kawasaki Hospitality. That's why it's a bit noisy for for the interview. But you're talking about nursing the tire. Phillip Island's always been the track where that's the key thing. Is this one of those places where you think that Alvaro's advantage with not having the tire on such a knife edge is going to be telling for this weekend and just one of those key things that we've seen all the way through the season? Honestly, so we talk now before the weekend. It's really hard to know how it's going to play out because the weekend has it's much cooler forecast than we come here normally in February so theoretically we'll spin the tyre less there'll be more grip um, so we have to try and set the bike up in a way that it turns naturally you know you're not using the rear of the bike to steer um, in previous years in February in the, the heart of summer it's always nursing the bike home so I don't really know what to expect tomorrow will be a telling day you know, um, should be 23 degrees out there on track they say track temperature should be decent enough but Saturday Sunday the forecast up the left you know you never, we don't know what we're going to get so um, we sort of suck it and see I hope it does bring a bit of unpredictability I think that'll create more window for us to get into that champ that fight for the at the front 19 was a tough race you know he, Alvaro was gone it was kind of a, one of the it broke my heart you know I remember coming around turn 3 that fast 5th gear left hander in the middle of the race and Alvaro was already coming out of T4 <laughs> it was like miles away it was one of them races where I thought flip me I'm in for a tough tough year um, so I hope it's not the case I hope I've, at least he's in sight you know in Mandalika I was able to to fight on Sunday certainly to the, the end of the races I just dropped off that last 3-4 laps so hopefully here we can stick in a bit longer obviously enough when we came here in 19 it was Alvaro's debut in World SBK and we saw him able to make moves no one else could make I think of the exit from Southern Loop down to turn 3 he was overtaking people on that run at the time we didn't really understand that much about the V4R as a brand new package now we've seen it where Magnicore Portimao, a couple of places where it seemed that you know we talk an awful lot on the podcast and on TV and in interviews about the weight advantage for Bautista, but this almost seems like there's also like the arrow for the Ducati's made a, a big step as well this year. They've just got that full package. What can you and Kawasaki do to try and find something over the winter? Not much, to be honest, with the current regulations. Barring bringing a complete all swing and dancing new bike, um, we face the same challenges we have this year. Of course, every time we race, if you give us a Monday race, we'd always improve. You know, you can always do something. And the main area we need to focus is um, electronics, you know, trying to extract everything. Um, Look at myself as well, try to polish the last details of my riding. Um, And from a chassis point of view, there's a key area on the bike I want to try and fix that when the temperatures you know get really high that we still have not the grip more grip but when the grip 
tends to drop. I feel like we're really, we still force the tyre too much and we need some support from chassis point of view. So the peak here is to visit and winter testing. The t tough thing about that is winter testing is notoriously cool. In Jerez, doesn't matter what bike you give me in November, December, January, I'm going to go fast because the track's really, really fast. So um, be one of them. Hopefully we can understand what's going on from chassis point of view and make a step there. And for the winter for yourself as well, obviously your in-laws are down here in Phillip Island. You've got a couple of places up in Europe. What's the plan for you on a personal basis? Well, um, winter testing, we have a test in December um, in Hereth. So I'll, I'll finish this race and go back there for that and then come back to back to Oz for Christmas. First Christmas we spent here for many years. My wife hasn't seen you know her extended family since pre-COVID, so I do that with the kids, a bit of homeschool, try and brush them up on their football skills as well. They'll be missing that until January and then get back home in the new year and start like normal. The gap between last round and first round this off-season is very short, so try to, as much as have a break, try to just keep ticking over with my training and yeah, normal off-season stuff. It's this sort of time of year where you can really get stuck into a lot of hard training because you try and build on what you have, um, but also enjoy some downtime. And Christmas in Australia would be different to Christmas back home. You know what it would be like back home in Ireland. It's um, here, Santa Claus with a surfboard and board shorts is a bit different to you know reindeers and snow. Cheers, Tony, and uh, thanks for a great season. It's been a lot of fun watching the battle at the front, and uh, hopefully more of the same next year. Pleasure. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Fly Racing and Renthal Street. Great to have Jonathan Ray on a Renthal Street session. And uh, like I said, Johnny, at the start of the start of the interview with him, Charlie, we're used to doing a champions interview with Jonathan. This year has been a lot tougher. He got a little bit defensive about uh, about about whenever I said it's been you know a trickier season, but uh, it has been trickier for him. Um, what's weird is that he he actually really likes this podcast, doesn't he? He's told me a couple of times now that he actually really likes this podcast, which is pretty cool. I have to say, Gordo, he liked it before Charlie came on as well. He's always made that perfectly clear to me. But as obviously, as we all do, we love it even more because Charlie's came on. <laughs> um, and again, Gordo is also taking on some of that exaggeration that the media do there. Charlie is an acceptable presence in the podcast. That's the correctly calibrated input for Charlie Hescott. When he's had his medication, he's okay, come on. No problem. Well, do you know what the thing is? He's not badly jet-lagged. There's no need to sedate him now. He's just nicely chilled. But... We were chatting to Johnny, and uh, one of the big things, Charlie, and you've seen this a lot, you've known Johnny over the years, and it's 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 always interesting for me to compare the char the the Johnny that you will see down in Park Farm, the one that I see in effectively just looking at the TV during sessions, and then the one that Gordo sees afterwards as well, whenever he's sitting down with the media. How have you seen Johnny this year? Because he's written like an absolute animal, and I said to him at the end of the interview off, off mic I said you know what selfishly I absolutely love seeing him and Toprak have to ride like this I know Johnny would probably like to have it a little bit easier and get back to winning races and championships but he just loves the battle I think um, Jonathan's uh, found himself obviously in a new position where he's ha having to look for positives and there aren't a lot of positives when you're coming third when you're so used to winning so him and the team are having to be they are looking for progression which actually they, they did make a big step in Mandalika he was definitely a lot closer to top rank than he probably could have been a, t a couple of rounds ago so they are progressing forward but 
they're also you know they're then their backs against the wall you know they're in trouble the one thing i like about jonathan which he's always been a consummate professional at is that he'll come in you see him get off the bike in park Ferme, and he is livid right he can't live with the fact that he's come third but that's the way it is he, he's having to deal with that but he comes over to us and he switches on and gives a brilliant interview very honest brutally honest with a smile on his face I, I did actually i said to him after the last thing i said it's amazing how you can actually he has to pull himself together and you can see the guy is absolutely just given his entire bodily energy to do that race he's coming third which he absolutely hates and yet he comes over gives us a really good nice accurate um representation of what's happening in the race he puts a smile on his face he's an absolute he's an absolute consummate professional that's all i can say yeah and i think argentina was a good example of that he came in gets a podium in argentina and he treated it like it was a race victory gordo you've obviously known johnny a long time he's been in this paddock best part of 15 years you've covered pretty much every one of his races at world championship level and when you look at the Johnny that you see after he's had the time to talk to the team, get himself ready to talk to the media, he's got himself a much more considered view, which already gets the immediate view. What's the what's the reaction from a rider down in Park Firma when the emotions are still high? We get it when they're a little bit more removed from us. But how have you seen Johnny this year? Uh, well, I agree with Charlie's point that he's you know he can he, he can flip immediately to say okay I'm now talking to the world and he, and he calms down and he puts his thoughts out on paper. I agree with that. So uh, I totally agree with that. We get an even more smoothed out version of that when Johnny comes into the, the media debriefs. He's expert with the media um, and very giving. He's very honest. He gives you what he wants. All the guys do. I mean uh, you know they don't look at any of them thinking is that, is he is he holding someone back here? They just say what they think which is great and it's one of the best things about World Superbike is that the riders have still got that mentality but it's okay to say what you think um, especially when you're winning because your factory can't really discipline you too much I think the thing we were talking about earlier with Johnny is he has said this isn't a new experience for him it's, 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 it's an experience he's going back to when he was on a Honda and no matter what he did he would win the odd race but he couldn't compete for the World Championship not all season now we're not we're talking apples and oranges he's a much higher competitive level than he was in the Honda and you can still be there or thereabouts but he has had the experience of for want of a better word losing serially losing not as we know now because of how good he got because of him it was the package no one could make it he could do things on the package that other people couldn't do but he couldn't win the world championship when he went to Kawasaki he could do that and win the world championship now he's third in the world championship he's nearly there he's won five races this year um, but obviously he's not in the position that he was in before whereby with like to like bikes and like to like performance he would be the guy that comes out on top nine times out of ten that's not happening anymore that's there's two reasons for that one is the packages other people have got and the other is the riders have got on those packages he's there's three big riders in this world championship and three big bikes and the other guys that are riding the other bikes aren't competing at the same level as johnny tobrak or alvaro the new world champion yeah, and I think that when we come here to Phillip Island, obviously we're here for the final round of the year. This is his last chance to be able to win for the first time since round three in Estoril. He talked a little bit about how difficult that's been for him to deal with. And it is tough as well whenever you're used to that success. And then you come to a track like this and you're hoping. And that's all it is. It's a blind hope right now because we know how good Bautista was here the last time he was on the Ducati. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good idea what's going to happen here. Well, we don't have a good idea, but it looks like... 
we have a fair idea what's going to happen here. And actually, Jonathan's this is one of those circuits where I think Jonathan always found it hard because when he was in his massive winning thing, he would come to Australia. He was spending winters in Australia. He was he he was a, an adopted Australian, and I think he had a lot of pressure on him when he came here. And sometimes things didn't quite knit for him here. I think he's had ups and downs at this circuit. Um, having said that, the one thing we know about Jonathan is he does his motivation doesn't never dips. So he will be here same as he's been here for the last coming here for the same 10 years he's fully motivated the only thing we have to worry, i mean the, for me i quite like the idea of a bit of rain and the cold this, this weekend i think that will level the field a little bit and actually this is you'd have to say this is one track where we've got a long straight here you come onto it really fast it's like portimao that gives alvaro an advantage yeah, I think that the big thing is this is also one of those tracks that in 2019 we did see an awful lot where Alvaro was able to make moves that other people couldn't. The run from the Southern Loop turn two down to Stoner Corner. I've never seen people make a move on that little small shoot of a straight. He was able to do that. Now we can kind of understand that a lot of that comes down from the wings on the Ducati, his body as well. All those things play a big factor. But the wings seem to be the one thing that when you talk to a lot of riders, that is a big factor because Alvaro and the other Ducati riders are able to hold much more throttle opening and still be able to get weight on the front that's around a track like this really important because Gordon most of the time here you're looking for a bike that naturally turns well now that it's going to be cooler temperatures you're going to look for one that won't have to be turned on the gas like we're used to whenever the track's really low grip so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out cold temperatures should mean that the tyre's not as stressed as much it's going to be interesting to see how different this is compared to we come back in what 10 weeks for round one well the T word is everything here is tyres it's how you manage them it's how you get them to work um, if you get the wrong tyre or the wrong setup, it doesn't matter what power you've got you'll just be spinning out of that long 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 left because you've got a massive series of fast lefts here which destroy tyres so you've got to get the tyre correct you've got to get your power delivery correct what we're going to have here in races is probably cooler conditions than we had before um, assuming it's dry in the first place um, so that might make a big difference that might help the more nimble bikes to, to be there longer the reason Alvaro the first year he came here was so dominant is because you look at his back tyre compared to anybody else's and it was just like mint everybody else's were as they are here pretty gone by the end so you know if he can get the tyre management thing out what Charlie was talking about earlier I think we know what the conclusion is going to be this weekend if that happens then it, it could be the case but it's the, the, if you've got to get the T thing right here it's all that matters here is getting your tyre right we've seen people win races here from 8th and ninth place Eugene Lavery remember won a Suzuki here why? because of the package in the tyre didn't stress it too much other people slid back he went forward you've got to get the tyre right and bizarrely even though the power was a big deal with Alvaro when he came here and won straight away on the Ducati it, it was also because he his tyres were mint relative to everybody else's tyres were mint yeah I was playing golf with Alex Lowe's earlier in the week whenever we got down to the island and just because the golf was going so badly I decided to talk about racing <laughs> obviously you wouldn't talk too much about it usually and uh, obviously a rider wouldn't be too keen to remember where they picked up you know their last win as well so you know Alex needed a lot of prodding to really bring up uh, Phillip Island but when you talk to him about here one of the key things that he said was the reason we have such good racing here Charlie is that no one's able to be on the limit except for Alvaro that time in 19 where you could just drive off into the distance but more often than not you're at 70-80% here for most of the race it's almost like you're looking at an oval race on a super speedway you know Indy 500 or something like that where you're just trying to get towards those final few laps and then you go for it but it was interesting that Lowe's did say you know you're just trying to manage the race all the way through 
but if you have it this weekend where someone's got that tyre advantage you're not going to see which way they go well, we've had a couple of sort of slow races here before haven't we where everyone's been sort of waiting oh, sort of cycling falling over each other yeah exactly and waiting for someone to actually you know to, to cut loose and go for it do you remember the when Bayless came wait, wait a second wait a second wait, wait, wait. yesterday did it happen yesterday asking Charlie Hescott if he's remembered something with his short term memory oh. you have to you have to today. if it wasn't today forget it what's my name Charlie today is a bit of a stretch for charlie's memory as well actually just but we'll put that down to the jet lag charlie it's been a busy one for you do you remember bayless when he came back from MotoGP and he jumped on the ducati on the pirellis and he went out in one of the races and just nailed the life out that he was gone he was absolutely and then he, he finished whatever way down the field because everybody came past him because he completely milled his tire i've never seen a tire that was literally had a flat on it like it like it he made a left-hand sided triangular for himself it wasn't shredded it was literally worn flat because he was just spinning all the time and, and going as fast as he wanted the trouble was that you know that the tyres can't handle that when you go at that full on, full on pace and he slipped back came in he was raging he had a big discussion with Ernie Marinelli in, in Park Fermi everybody watching on and it was like you can't do that here you, you just can't ride that way in this track you have to manage things as you say yeah and that was the lesson Gareth Gerloff learned as well his first time here in the island in 2020 tried to go with the lead group at the start of race one and just chewed his tyre ended up just throwing out the back of the group and that's what happens at PI um, I've got a question for you just been standing outside the media centre earlier on a bit of talk about uh, Philip Ertl not riding this weekend so I think they're looking for a rider so who would you put on that bike here we are Philip I'd say my suggestion first because okay. I just bumped into him earlier on and it was really nice to see him I haven't seen him for a long time and he's a legend Billy McConnell I have to say Mad Mike Jones for me oh would you look if we can get enough cows killed overnight I'll do it if the money's right I'll have a pop I don't care I don't mind finishing last I don't, I've got no pride at all I'll have a go if the, mo- if the money's right I go 11 Ducati so how much are you bringing to the table Gordo to make that right money that's a terrible Troy Bayless is floating around that's a terrible scurrilous thing to say uh, I guess a couple of Tunnocks wafers I'll be on no problem I'm not, I'm not sure that in the land of the Tim Tam that Tunnocks wafers are going to go too far yeah Tim Tams we forgot how good Tim Tams were didn't we I got given a Tim Tam by my friend in the car last night and I thought wow you know you ask every Aussie what did he miss most about Australia and nine times out of ten they go Tim Tams biscuit yeah, but it's, just a biscuit yeah but it's like part of Aussie culture that you wouldn't believe it's, 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 a, it's a cultural icon mate what can I tell you it's, it's no Jaffa cake that's all I'm going to say <laughs> I tell you t- whoa, 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 whoa 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 biscuit it's a cake not a biscuit it's a cake not a biscuit I have to say I've never seen anything that gets us all so heated as a biscuit discussion as it is the, the, it's a part of Australian culture just like Gordon Ritchie is a part of the culture of World Superbikes he's uh, always he's growing around the rim yeah, yeah he's right. an absolutely <laughs> <the> right <old> culture <laughs> there, there is a culture with Gordo usually but uh, Gordo we're going to be back probably it's going to be middle of next week before we're going to be able to record because of the travel back you're obviously very busy now this is the end of season you've got a lot of end of season review books to do and uh, and different things but when you look at the season as it is up to this last round sum it up in just a couple of words for how you think the championship is right now uh, game of two halves literally With the first half of the season we really didn't know if it was which way it was going to go um, and then all of a sudden Ducati took off and that was it everybody else was toiling so game of two halves um, I'd rather have it the other way around 
you know people chasing and getting closer. Uh, but it's been a brilliant season. It's been a fantastic season, and we're talking about advantages and everything else. Top rack blew everybody out of the water at the last round, and nobody expected it to happen. So we're still getting unexpected things happening, even though we've got the championship tied up now. You can't really ask for much more than that. Unexpected things happening, Charlie. You get to the end of the season. What's the most unexpected thing that happened to you this year? The most unexpected thing. Oh, um, oh, come on. I can't just think of something off the top of my head. But I will just say one thing. For me, I'll tell you what. It's been a great year. I agree with Gordo. It's been a fantastic season. It has been a really good season. We've had some incredible racing, loads of things. But I quite like the fact that Honda and BMW do look like they're starting to progress a bit now. So my the best thing about this season is going to be next season. That's a very good point, Charlie. That's a very, very good point. Um, uh, I think one of the, the highlights of this year is forget what we think about the championship. Look at what everybody else is saying about the championship. Everybody was completely engaged in this championship because of the action they saw in the first half of the year. And they followed it through. And you, when you, you look on any social media platform and the feedback it's going, everybody's now engaged. They've got an opinion, whether they're you know pro this guy, anti that guy, whatever. We've now got people from outside the paddock who for a lot of years and I've been part of this for the good and bad and good and bad and good and bad times are now completely on on it they're watching it all the time they're talking about it and favourably in terms of OGP that has happened for a long time long time just to add one quick thing Steve the Supersport Championship has been scintillating this year yeah. Domi Agata has just been incredible and had to find we've had some of the best racing in super sport for flipping years i think it's been an incredible year for super sport so over the over the the, the course of the season i think it's been a brilliant year enjoyed every minute of it and who would i say that at the beginning of that season with the three new next generation bikes that the bike that hasn't won a race yet is a ducati which is the one everybody was scared about yeah, when things don't turn out the way you think yeah. it makes things even more exciting so yeah the yamahas are still the best they're just the most developed the fastest everything else they've got the best riders on them but we have had everybody having their, 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 their turn at it. Ducati are the, strangely the weakest link uh, as an overall package so far. Um, so that is the most important. I was just going to say, Gordo, that uh, you've obviously <laughs> talked there about having the best riders on that bike. We've got the best English-speaking journalists in the paddock here. Now, we are the only three English-speaking journalists, but... Uh... <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. Come on, there's only one English-speaking journalist in this room. Gordo yeah he's the only man that uh, is properly with the the Queen's language for grammar at least Gordo apparently it's a king now um, no no look hey you know everybody speaks the way they speak I'm very, it's very we're very lucky that we work in English because it means that somebody like me can sell a story to any magazine in the world that might be interested the, lingo, the biggest thing in our paddock is that, that it's, a, it's a language of the paddock is English yeah and this paddock is probably Italian inside the pit boxes but everybody does business does interviews and stuff everybody speaks English which lets us access more people more of the time than if someone is monolingual so that to me is part of the reason why we can get so much information is because we can talk to anybody very very few people don't speak english in this paddock to some degree do they apart from steve obviously who is english but can't speak steve english. steve speaks beautiful english beautiful english anyway uh, we don't call steve steve anymore he's now called estave anglais <laughs> i've got a photograph to prove it haven't i steve well, that's why you're prone, prone to a coconut so what would that be what's what's gordon ritchie and um, un unfortunately yours is just el gordo which works out terrible el gordo like el, el said only slightly bigger and greyer 
Well, what's gonna it's gonna bring us to a close for our preview of Philip Island. We've had a review of Indonesia. We've had Jonathan Ray for a rental street session. It's not a bad podcast to to get everyone back up to speed on World SBK. Over the course of the last few rounds, we have been pretty busy on Patreon as well with a few uh, superbike previews on a Friday after the free practice sessions. This week it's gonna be a little bit different, obviously because of the the big delay in getting us all around the table to be able to record. But hopefully it's been worth it. Obviously, the race weekend is certainly going to be worth it. Gordo's done a good job of selling it. Charity's looking forward to it. And uh, I have to say, I'm, I'm ready for the last round of the year. It's nice to be back in Phillip Island. Can't wait for the Christmas dinner. I offered. I offered you. said it was going to be in Lombok, and it wasn't. I offered you. I offered you your dinner in, the in most Lombok. Surprising thing that happened this year, because I can tell you the most unsurprising yeah. thing was the fact oh, that yeah. you didn't Christmas buy us Christmas dinner. Welching, welching yeah, in a gigantic welching. scale. Welching in a gigantic scale. At the risk uh, of being jingoistic. As it is patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast if you want to be able to support the podcast so we can buy Charlie and Gordo their dinner actually to be honest here in Phillip Island the exchange rate is so terrible we do actually need the Patreon support for that yeah yeah Australia when I first came here it was things were cheaper like for like compared back to home and it was two point something dollars to the pound man masterpiece used to be full of stuff for a wife and kids taking stuff home Quicksilver this and all your brands and it was like dirt cheap relative to you now it's like you, I wanted to buy a pair of trainers the other day and I went in the shop came out and I have counselling it was like you can't try and charge Scottish people with that amount of money for a pair of gutties forget it well I'll tell you what we'll see what we can do Gordo if we're able to blag some sort of footwear for you because um, we, it's it's certainly important to make sure that you don't have to go out in the media centre in your socks again I think you find Ugg boots are still pretty cheap over here <laughs> yeah that is true <laughs> alright well Charlie Gordo thanks for joining us and as ever big thanks to Renthal Street and to Fly Racing for supporting the podcast this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler David Emmett Steve English Neil Morrison and Adam Wheeler it was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. JB, there's been a few technical issues for me and Charlie's recorders. The main technical issue being the fact that we left them behind in Ireland and England. So we're just going to use Gordo's recorder for uh, for the show